Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, good to have you back for a second episode this week. Uh, the rumors have been flying like crazy over Bradley Beal. What do we know? Yeah, what we know is it sounds like the Wizards are going to work with Bradley Beal on finding a trade. So all, all of the markers were there for this. Uh, when they transition to a new front office, one, they're not the ones who gave him this contract. So they don't necessarily feel beholden to it. <clears throat> the other part is the Wizards are in a position where for the first time ever, They've openly come out and said from the front office of, hey, we can rebuild if we need to. And just even the, that kind of tacit acknowledgement is enough to say we're rebuilding, right? I, I, you don't say that unless that's on the table. Why they have to work with Beal on a trade is he is the NBA's only negotiated no trade clause uh, in the league. So he can block a, any trade that he doesn't like. So he can... Uh, you know, say, I don't want to go to that team and block it. And then they've got to figure out something else. Or you could say, I want to go to that team, but they're sending out the player I really want to play with or something along those lines. So uh, we're, we're hearing all kinds of rumors of who could be interested. And those are things, you know, that'll come later. But here's the big things that people need to know. Bradley Beal, yeah, he just completed the first year of his extension or, or his completing here in two weeks. But when the league year changes over, he will have four years, two hundred and seven million point seven million. So two hundred two hundred seven point seven million dollars uh, left on that deal. So nearly two hundred eight million uh, on his uh, contract. It's all fully guaranteed. Final year is a player option. There is a fifteen percent trade bonus. That won't matter because he will. Uh, always that would kick him above the max salary so that won't come into play but that's the number that people are going to be looking at is 46.7 million this upcoming season 208 million total so they'll really be looking into that to say man like that's a lot of money that you're taking on in over the last two seasons combined Bradley Beal's appeared in 90 games so that's the other factor here that it's you know he's injury prone he is going to be 30 uh, ahead of next season, about two weeks. He'll turn 30 years old uh, and, you know, $208 million owed to him over four years. That Those are all uh, not, not great numbers for, uh, you know, putting together a trade package. On the plus side, shot over 50% last year in the games he played, continued to have a high uh, three-point percentage, is a really efficient scorer. One of the best scorers in the league, one of a better playmaker than people think. So that's also going to be a reason why some team will talk themselves into, all right, we'll get Bradley Beal and we'll make it work. So what does this mean for the remainder of the roster? I mean, there's Kuzma player option. There's the Porzingis player option. There's uh, some of the other veterans on that roster. What happens now moving forward? Yeah, so Kuzma is the easy one. He's 100% going to opt out. My guess is probably doesn't re-sign uh, with the Wizards now. The the belief around the NBA was, had the former front office stayed in place, that you would have seen Porzingis and Kuzma both opt out and probably re-sign to big, big dollar contracts uh, with the Wizards, and they'd kind of run it back and continue this cycle of, hey, we'll be somewhere between 7 and 10 in the East and compete for the play-in tournament and try to make it into the playoffs. Now, with the new front office acknowledging, hey, we can rebuild, and if you're trading Bradley Beal, obviously that's what you're looking to do. 
for Kuzma because he's coming off only 13 million player options, only 13 million. He's definitely going to decline that hit free agency. He'll be one of the better free agents in my guess, because all of the cap space teams uh, have a need for a guy like Kyle Kuzma. We'll probably see him move on um, in uh, free agency. Porzingis becomes a kind of a weird situation. I was told yesterday. Now it is more likely he may just opt in and take the 36 million he's owed because it's not a guarantee any longer if he opts out that there's a four-year $120 million deal waiting for him from Washington or anything like that. Uh, he may not get that you know big long-term deal because it, it, unlike Kuzma, the teams who have cap space, they're probably not looking to go in you know, on a $30-plus million-a-year contract for Porzingis. So it sounds like he may now opt in and then – it's still likely he doesn't play for the Wizards because they may say, hey, expiring $36 million contract, who wants it? For a guy who's uh, he's coming off the best season of his career. He was actually really good this year and stayed mostly healthy. So so that that's probably the direction where that's going. But I think this entire team is going to look very, very different next year. They're probably going to be pretty bad, um, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I, I I can't fault the Wizards organization wanting to potentially rip this Band-Aid off and just rebuild based on what we've seen in the last few years with Houston, Detroit, Orlando, sort of ripping it off, starting over, acquiring young pieces, especially with how good some of these players have been in the draft if you're able to hit on them well. So I, I can't fault them for moving off of Beal, if that is the case, uh, you know, if they do trade him, it'll be interesting to see if he does waive that no trade clause because he, like Damian Lillard, has been a extreme loyalist to the franchise. So if he does see that writing on the wall and does want to move on, then, you know, could, that's great for us for the content and the, <laughs> the conversation and I, any other team in the NBA that would want to acquire a superstar. I, I saw someone put out a tweet yesterday saying, uh, don't count out the Spurs. You know, yes, Wembenyana is a generational talent, but with, you know, Beal being out there, you know, Pop may think differently for the short term instead of the long term. Yeah, I'm going to count so, out the Spurs. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I will too. I'm just bringing it up for the fact that, it's not just going to be one or two no. teams yeah. that look at Beal. It's going to be all of them. They're at least going to put a sniff out there of, do we want to go that route or not? It's not just going to be uh, you know, a handful of teams that are going to say, we're the ones that are in this. It's going to be everybody that talks about Yeah, it. you're going to have a whole bunch of teams. I mean, there's there's always been a link to the Celtics because he's very close friends with Jason Tatum. <laughs> Uh, so that's always been a thing thing that's been out there that they, there's already reporting from, I believe it was Sean Sharania that the Miami heat and Milwaukee bucks are both going to be interested. So, so we're going to be, be into a you know situation here where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you may have, I, I don't, I hesitate to say a bidding war because I don't know that that's what I would call it, but I think it's a, I don't think they're going to get a great package back because of the things that I call the, you know, 208 million and uh, you know, the injury concerns, the age, you know, all those things, but it's not like they're going to struggle to find a trade or that they're going to have to like throw in a whole bunch of stuff to make a trade happen. It, it'll get done, you know, here, you know, sooner rather than later. 
All right. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this. We'll monitor it and see what happens. And it's going to be fascinating. This is only, as we mentioned last uh, on Tuesday, with the Lillard, you know, Lillard conversation of trading or the Pelicans trying to trade up. We're only on in the beginning of this process uh, of this offseason rumors, rumor mill, whatever you want to call it. So uh, it, it's fun to talk about, especially as more and more reports come out saying this team might be involved, that team might be involved, and then the wheels get turning up. Holy cow, that team could really take a step forward or or backwards in the Wizards case that they're looking to potentially rip it out, rip it down. Yeah. I mean, as we record this, we're two weeks from the draft. So, you know, it is time now, right? We're, we're in a whole, uh, you know, uh, you know, a whole lot of stuff is going to start happening here in in this next week. And then, you know, the draft is only a week out or so eight days from free agency opening. So we, we got a whole lot of stuff, um, you know, go going into, uh, you know, everything that happens. So yeah, it's uh this this is gonna be you know crazy here over the next little bit. All right, so let's dive into the last three teams of our offseason previews. Uh Boston Celtics, Miami Heat, Denver Nuggets, champions. We're gonna start off with the Boston Celtics, and you sort of alluded to them a little bit with you know the Tatum and Beal being friends and um I want to start with, on paper right now, this is an extremely solid core, but the the area that I want to go with is the Jalen Brown conversation of pay him or not pay him because now he is extension eligible as soon as the offseason in July hits. He has a $31.8 million guaranteed salary for this upcoming season, but because he hit the all-NBA mark, now that puts the 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 ball in the front office's court as far as do they give him the full max extension or not and then it goes into brown's court where he accepts it or not what are you feeling seeing with the browns in the celtics potentially supermax yeah i so this one has been interesting because what well, what comes into play here is the whole idea around the um, super tax in a couple years. Is you know can you have him at you know fifty million dollars a year? Plus, can you have Jason Tatum at what will be you know in that range? You know, probably above that range, quite honestly, uh, where he'll start at. So <clears throat> that becomes the the issue here is you know can, can you do that? Now, my guess is. What the Celtics are going to say is, we're really good. We're a game away from the finals. Had we shot better, played a little better in a couple games, we're probably in the NBA finals. And I don't know that they beat that that Nuggets team. That they they seemed pretty primed to to win one. But yeah, we 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 could have been there competing for a second straight year. So now I think what they're going to say is, let's let tomorrow's problems be tomorrow's problems. You know, and if that means we have to, uh, you know, make a, a deal here and, you know, tr- trade a guy or two, um, you know, down the line, we'll, we'll do that. But we're not going to break up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So all of that said, I expect at midnight on July 1st, when they're able, they're going to offer him the full Supermax. I expect Jalen Brown will sign it because like it or not, the way the NBA works now is you take the money when it's offered. And then if you're not happy, you can then, 
you know, ask for a trade a year or two in to the deal and go from there. The only way this goes sideways is if Jalen Brown says, mm, no, I'm good. Because then what that means is the Celtics are in a position where if he doesn't sign it, you have to consider trading him because he cannot make any more money by delaying it. Um, he can actually lose himself money because if he didn't, didn't make all NBA next year, he would no longer be eligible to sign this. So he's eligible right now, but he wouldn't be in a year from now. So what that becomes is, all right, you know, where, where do we go you know, with, with this? You know, if we're, we're in a spot where he's not interested, that probably means he's looking to leave after next season. And then obviously you try to get ahead of that to trade him before you risk losing him for nothing. Yeah, and if he says no, you you definitely have to trade him immediately uh, to so you can build your roster accordingly and not wait until September, October going into the season. Um, now that the off season is in full bloom and the championship is done, I believe that with the the new conversation was with the CBA negotiations can happen now with retaining your own so with the extension he they they can still have that conversation with the extension leading up into not the, yet uh, so that that's next yet. year so that will start gotcha. with the new cba in in on the first of july um so next year will be the first year that they can do that but let's be adults here <laughs> obviously they're they, they have a pretty good good understanding of what can be offered and what will be offered and what may be signed and all those kind of things. I, 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 I'm by no means naive enough to believe that the, these guys don't all talk already. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you mentioned the, the Brown Tatum combination here. Jason Tatum is also extension eligible way early. He's got two guaranteed plus a player option. So actually three guaranteed, um, of 32, 34, and 37 million, w- would they just try to sign an extension way early with Tatum now to line Brown and Tatum up together? Or is a Tatum extension just completely off the table right yeah, now? Yeah, no, I, I think that so the Tatum one is slightly different because even next year, when he'd be going into potentially an expiring contract because he's got that player option on 25, 26. What could happen with Tatum is you hit a spot where that becomes a thing uh, where he still would be uh, super max eligible because he's made all NBA the last two years. And what the qualifier is, it's either the prior year to signing the extension or the two of the prior three years. Well, because he's already made it two years, even if he didn't make it this coming year, he's still qualified. So there's two ways the Celtics can handle this. Either the Celtics can do it right now, and how that would work is Tatum would decline that player option for 25-26, and then he would sign the new extension uh, at four-year deal, um, new extension that'd be four years, well over $200 million, and that's what he would do. Or he can delay one year, and then on July 1st, 2024, uh, he could same thing decline the player option, but then he could add five years, and that'd be five years. You know, probably I believe north of three hundred million at that. You know, but actually I know it would be north of three hundred million. So that's where where you could see that 
be the way it goes uh, for Jason Tatum in that situation as it could either be add four years right now. That's what guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker did a year ago. They, they both signed four-year uh, max extensions as soon as they were eligible. But Tatum, because he's hit that qualifier of having done it already, they could say, let's just delay it a year. And outside of a career-ending injury, nothing is going to uh, keep the Celtics from saying, hey, Supermax a year from now, even if he you know missed half the next season and knock on wood here uh, to make sure that doesn't happen. But it's, you know, they, they would still do that deal no matter what. So, you know, you're, you're basically – this is just a timing play. You know, does he want to lock it in right now and get four years, you know, at, at the supermax, or does he want to wait, uh, wait a year and then lock in five years at the supermax? But yeah, either way, it's definitely coming uh, for Jason Tatum. You know, the, the Celtics offer. Yeah, and if the Tatum offer is going to come, if the Brown offer does come and he accepts it, then that front office really has to look forward similar to what the Denver Nuggets are starting to do where they have their core extremely locked up to high salaries. And now you have to massage your roster moving forward, knowing that you're going to be paying quite a bit of money in two to three, four years down the line, especially with these super tax uh, implications. So not only do you have to look at the, at that long term, you have to look at the short term to make sure that your roster is going to work out. And and if they don't mind paying the extreme deep into the super tax and tax paying and all of that, then, you know, kudos to them as long as they can flush their roster out. But the next two years, they do have uh, Smart, Brogdon, White, Robert Williams third. Al Horford, all of those five that I just mentioned are all locked up to guaranteed salaries for the next few years. Do you think that all of these will be on this roster throughout this upcoming season? Or do you think uh, they may try to move off of one of these? Yeah, we'll see. To, to, to your point there, they are in a position with basically the entire core rotation group outside of Grant Williams is, is signed. And, and there is a thought out there of, Hey, if Williams gets too much and restricted free agency, you know, we could let him go. And then we'll basically replace him with Danilo Gallinari who didn't play at all last year due to an injury. So that becomes another guy who's likely to be in the fold. Cause it feel, I think we all feel pretty confident. He's going to pick up his player option, having just missed the entirety of last season. So, what that really comes down to is one, do you feel good about that core group? Right. Is it, do you feel like all right, we're right there? We feel like add Gallinari into the mix with or without Williams, you know, you know, fill out the roster with, with minimums and a draft pick and let's go, let's go forward. We feel pretty good that this group can contend for a title. If that's where you feel, if you're the Celtics, then I think you basically run it back and move forward. If you're trying to get ahead of, some of the payroll concerns or just you feel like yeah, we just got to tweak things a little bit. The guy who I think is most likely to get moved is Malcolm Brogdon uh, for a couple reasons. One outside of the two max guys, he makes the most money at 22 and a half million for each of the next two seasons. There's also the factor of he stayed basically healthy last year. Unfortunately got hurt in the Eastern conference finals, but, but up to that point, it stayed mostly healthy. 
And that's the first time he's done that since his rookie year. So you got to have some worries of like, did we get the one healthy season and we're not going to get it, you know, moving forward. And if that's the case, then what you're looking at, if you're the Celtics is, all right, you know what, we should probably consider moving on from, from this guy and consider making a trade and consider doing something different because you're just in a position with Malcolm Brogdon where it becomes, all right, you know what, this is a uh, spot here where I don't know that, you know, we're going to return that value because a guy like Peyton Pritchard, who right now is very much like the fourth or fifth guard in this rotation, he's probably going to get traded this summer because he wants to play. And I think the team wants to do right by him. So now you could be in a position where you traded him away. Then if Brogdon gets hurt again and misses considerable time, which he had done you know, every year leading up to this for several years running. And then you have Marcus Smart's kind of annual injury, which costs him you know, a week or two. Now, all of a sudden, that great guard depth is down almost nothing. And then you're kind of like, uh. so if you if you think the way forward is, all right, let's break Brogdon up into a couple smaller contracts, maybe you know ones that run out a little longer, I think that could be on the table this year. But I think it's more likely than not, this team mostly runs it back looking pretty similar with just some tweaks around the edges. Yeah, and looking at their roster, you're right. They're, they're, they're guard-heavy uh, especially the, the point guard aspect. So that leads me into what areas of need do they really need on this team? I mean, you followed this team as in depth as anyone over the, the last decade or whatever it is with Celtics blog. So what does this team need to be able to go deep into the playoffs again? Uh, are, is there what is their glaring weakness from what you've watched over these last, uh, you know, this last season, where, where do they need to go? Yeah. I, it's, it's weird because it's, you know, this will be cocky Celtics fan coming out here maybe, but they're not, they don't need much, right. They, they, they need better health at the end of the year, right. They, they needed, you know, Jason Tatum got hurt in that game seven against Miami rolled an ankle and then just really probably shouldn't have played. If we're being being honest, uh, Brogdon was you know completely ineffective for most of the Eastern Conference Finals because he had the torn uh, ligament in his elbow. So that become or forearm, I guess it was. So that became a whole thing. So get there healthy and stay healthy at the end, and they probably win that series. Is my guess, and I think that becomes a as you start looking at it, probably one more. Uh, you know, if they lose Grant Williams, you need one more kind of versatile front court guy. Maybe that could be Gallo, but but we don't really know what he's gonna be, uh, you know, coming off the torn ACL. So we'll we'll see, um, you know, what that looks like. Um, <clears throat> but you've got Horford and Robert Williams holding down the five spot. You've got all the guards. You know, probably one more wing would would be nice to have just in case Tatum or Brown misses time or if they need to sit for any reason, uh, just you know, rest reasons or whatever. You're not you know putting it all on the one that does play at that time. So, you know, if they could find one more wing, and that's where I've kind of said, yeah, if you could turn Brogdon into a, you know, a, a viable guard option and a wing option, then you probably do it. But for the most part, I think this team is pretty well built and pretty well set up to sustain, you know, what should be another run at the NBA finals, at least for the next couple of seasons. And then we'll get into, you know, all right, is this when they really need to start to think about a reset around Tatum and probably Brown? 
You mentioned Gallo most likely opting into that player option. They're, they do have another option that the Celtics themselves can decide on with Mike Muscala. Do you think that they pick that up or decline that? I think they'll pick it up. I, I just We just published this week uh, the um, option piece where I went through all the remaining player and team options around the league. And what I said in there is the Celtics gave up two second-round picks to get Mike Muscala. $3.5 million is nothing on the salary cap for, for them. So my guess is they picked that up. And Horford, they're probably going to – they they didn't play him on back-to-backs uh, this past year. My guess is they're probably even more aggressive with resting him in games. And we all know Rob Williams is uh, far from the picture of health. He, he tends to miss time as well. So having guys like Mike Muscala, Luke Cornett in the fold that you can put in there, you know, and they, they can hold their own just fine for 15, 20 minutes in a game. That's huge. So my, my guess is Muscala will be back. Okay. Grant Williams, you've mentioned him a couple times. He is a restricted free agent. So do you, what is your best guess? Is he back on this roster or is he on another roster? Yeah, I think they'd love to have him back. I think he'd like to be back, but he's not going to give them any kind of major discount. So this is going to have to be a situation with Grant Williams where it becomes, all right, you know, if they can get him at 15 million or less, that's really good for the Celtics and let's go. 15 to 18, that's probably a discussion point. Anything above 18 million a year, that probably becomes a, all right, with all the other long-term salary we have locked up or hope to have locked up, uh, if Jalen Brown signs his extension, that probably gets into a range where you got to think about, all right, we're going to let him go. Then the question becomes, <clears throat> do you make that a sign and trade? Do you make that into just letting him walk? You know, how do you handle that? And that, that's where, you know, I'm sure there'll be some discussions had around all right, you know, let's try to make this a sign and trade where it's mutually beneficial for, you know, Williams and the team who's getting him, but we can also get something back. Uh, that's been something the Celtics have tried to do in the past when they've lost free agents. So we'll, we'll see if that's the direction they want to go and who that team is. But, you know, he's going to have opportunities. I, I, I paused and I hesitate on saying offers because I don't know that they'll necessarily be offers, but he is definitely going to get opportunities uh, to, to join another team. Well, we'll just have to see if it ends up playing out that way or not. If you put your GM hat on, what would you offer from an AAV standpoint? Yeah. Something in the 15, 16 million range feels fine for me. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, where where the cap is headed that that's a, you know, that that's going to be right around the MLE anyway. And I think he's definitely an MLE worthy player with what he gives them defensively is shooting his passing. Um, you know, that, that stuff, I all that that's all necessary needed um, on a front court. That's relying on, you know, Al Horford, who is, you know, he just turned 37. Um, you know, so he'll be, you know, 38 years old at the end of next season. Um, and brought in, you know, he's going into year 17 next year. And then Rob Williams, you know, again, just, you know, love him, love everything he does, everything he brings this team. He raises their ceiling, but he misses a lot of games. He tends to miss a lot of time with injuries. So I have no problem investing a good chunk of money in a backup. And Grant Williams is a good, solid backup because not only is he that, but he can play alongside Horford or Robert Williams, which is also big too. You need to be able to uh, have a little bit of versatility in that front court too, and he brings that to them. Anything else we need to know about the Boston Celtics going into this offseason? I don't think so. I think just you know, don't look for major, major changes. It's probably going to look pretty similar to what it looks like now. 
the Miami Heat finals contender. This is a very, very interesting team. Eighth seed. It's been as soon as the finals were done, it was the Miami Heat are going to be quote unquote star hunting. They've got Jimmy Butler locked up to an extension, estimated $45 million next season. Bam out of bio. He's on his rookie designated extension at 32-6. Kyle Lowry, he's at 29-6 right now, uh, but he was sort of a shell of himself. So that's where I want to start. Is Kyle Lowry going to be on this roster for the 23-24 season, or do you think that the Miami Heat just roll with it for – the time being we'll see right he he is if they are chasing guys like bradley beal or damian lillard what those teams will be looking for uh, meaning the wizards and the blazers will be salary relief as well as young talent and lowry is he's not the young talent but it's salary relief because there's only one year left and you got to take some salary in if you're trading away those guys because that's just how it works so my guess is what we're gonna see in that case with with uh deal for the heat is there's a good chance it could include Kyle Lowry just because you know 29.7 million dollars is a lot of money right that's a you know big big chunk of the salary match there on on any one of these guys and I think that may be the direction this goes yeah you're right that is a piece and in the event that Washington like we just talked about wants to rip it off rip that band-aid off they could acquire him and then buy him out and save a little bit off of that as well yeah, exactly. Um, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, 27 for Hero, 18 for Robinson. Robinson had a, a not a stellar season. Hero had some injuries at the end there. Um, the conversation is going to come up of Duncan Robinson. Is he a trade candidate as well? My guess is Tyler Hero is, stays on this roster. So do you think, Robinson will be that trade piece on this team. Well, we'll see, right? He could be the guy you add to Kyle Lowry to go bring in a guy like Bradley Beal if that's the direction they want to go. You know, that that's a big, big uh you know, number you get to there. You're you're up, you know, almost at forty eight million dollars at their yeah, at about almost forty eight million um at that point in matching salary. So that that kind of gets you in the range. For the Heat, they're fortunate, you know, not only because it helped their playoff run, but it helps his value. Robinson played really well in the playoffs. He he looked like the guy from the bubble and from, you know, a couple years ago. So so that's huge. Whereas, you know, for most of this year, he'd fallen out of the rotation. He wasn't really playing as much, and that, that was a problem. So now you're in a spot where, you know, we, we got to, you know, see how this comes together uh, for him. And then, you know, with Tyler Hero, he's – it, it it's again if 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 it's like a Bradley Beal trade and it's you know hey we want Hero because we think he is you know young enough at you know twenty what he just turned twenty three so if we you know feel like he's young enough to be kind of the centerpiece of our rebuild we don't mind the contract you could see him in a deal then because it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a guy like Hero and Beal together but the other option is. You know, if, if teams don't want to take on that money that's owed to Hero, then he just stays in Miami and, you know, plays it out that way. So that's kind of an either-or uh, situation there, and that's probably more heavily dependent on what the the acquiring team wants to do. If they want to, you know, really shed salary and clean up their books, they don't take them. If they want them, they'll take them off. 
Yeah, the Robinson now might be the time to strike because of what he did in the playoffs, sell high of based off of an entire regular season plus postseason play, if you can sell high on that and potentially get off of that because a lot of people were uh, balking at the amount that he got when he did sign that yeah. extension or sign that as a free agent. So um, if you can get off of that and potentially if you package him and Lowry and you can get that superstar – to a team that is wanting to rebuild sort of like the wizards, then that might be the way to go. If they are truly looking for that star, um, Victor Oladipo has a player option, $9.5 million player option. Uh, do you believe he will opt in? Yeah. hundred percent. After the injury in the playoffs, he, there's no way he's given that. He'd never make that money back. So he'll, he'll opt in, take that. And that'll just, Either the Heat will, you know, let him rehab like they've done in the past and figure it out, or you know, Victor Oladipo will be, you know, thrown into a trade as, you know, nine and a half million dollars of salary matching in a deal. Uh, that's you know very very possible, but he's definitely going to pick up that option. There's no decisions on this player, Caleb Martin, but he definitely made a name for himself with this postseason. Uh, extreme value I I just want your thoughts on the Caleb Martin where you think things could go because he does have a player option in 24-25 so if we're really looking past this 23-24 season what are your thoughts with Caleb Martin with you know him having made such a name for himself in these playoffs yeah it's gonna be if he can continue and continue to play well then I think he will um he he will uh you know be moving forward but i think for the most part it's going to be for him it's going to be a a one of those deals where it is you know it's just put play it out try to con- you know, maintain that success level because then you know then a nice contract will be waiting for him and he'll opt out but there's you know we see this sometimes these guys have these great playoff runs and then kind of midnight you know strikes and they go back to you know uh, the carriage turns into a pumpkin again and you know, it's just they go back to being a nice player, but not these great guys that they were during the playoff run. So we'll see what this year brings for him. All right, let's dive into some of their free agents that they have because they have uh, uh, Love, who they acquired after a buyout. They have Max Struess. I'm assuming he's probably a, a must resign based on his uh, – contribution to the Miami heat and Gabe Vincent, similar situation. I I assume that they're going to try to re-sign him. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, of those three free agents, which one do you think that they is the absolute must have if they lost the other? We can take love out of the mix because he's a minimum player at this point. You know, maybe they give him a slight bump over that because they did use the biannual exception on him so i believe they can pay him like five million dollars or almost six million uh using his non-bird rights but that's just more of a <clears throat> do you want to come back do you want to be a part of things Struess and vin in, in no one it's not no any other team signing kevin loves going to be for the minimum so that one is that that's almost an entirely separate situation on max Struess and gabe vincent it does become a very different type of deal because Struess, the reality with him is that'll be tied up into, are we getting Bradley Beal? You know, because if you're going after and getting a guy like Bradley Beal, then you're not going to re-sign Max Struess probably, unless 
that Beal trade costs you Duncan Robinson in there. And then you're like, all right, we'll bring Struess back as kind of our sixth man and, you know, our designated shooter off the bench and our kind of Beal insurance if he goes down. Um, you know, maybe then you go that way. But, you know, for the most part, you're probably more looking at, you know, all right, if we get a guy like Beal, we don't need to resign Struess because Beal, Hero, Robinson, Struess, somebody's got to go out of that whole mix. And obviously, you know, one or two of those would go in a trade anyway. So that's the, the thing with him. Gabe Vincent becomes, to me, probably the guy who's the most must resign on this team because if Kyle Lowry can't be Kyle Lowry or if he's traded, well, you have to have a point guard, right? Because as much as you can run the offense through Jimmy Butler and through Tyler Hero and through Bam Adebayo or through Bradley Beal if you got him or you know whoever, you still need a point guard to defend point guards on the other end. None of those guys are doing that. And you still need somebody who can, you know, credibly get his own shot, do some playmaking. And that's what Vincent brings. So I think we're really going to see it be a situation where they're they're probably going to do what they can to try to get him re-signed. I, I, here's the, the big thing. And we'll take the whole you know, potential star trades out of the mix. If that's not happening, I think we're in a spot where uh, two of three can be on the roster of, Vincent, Beal, and Robinson, but you can't have all three. You'd just be too expensive because Struess and Vincent, those guys are going to get 10, 12 million at least in their next contracts. Neither one of them has made any money uh, up to this point. They've both been on minimum deals. So so you're going to do what you can to get those guys uh, re-signed to, you know, good, good, num- good numbers, excuse me. And then uh, you kind of go from there. Oh, fascinating stuff with this team. There's so many different avenues, but timing is going to be key if they can acquire Beal or not, if they go that route, I should say, um, or retain their own. The last thing that I want to ask you as far as this roster construction is how are they so good with player development outside of all the other teams? I mean, it just seems like they are able to get uh, you know, choose certain players and get the best out of them better than any other team in the NBA. They it just year after year that these these players come out of nowhere and make a name for themselves. Is it the coaching style? Is it the they just know how to uh, pull out this the strengths and minimize the weaknesses? What do you hear from talking to, you know, heat beat reporters or anyone else in the league? Yeah, it's they are the best development team in the NBA. They they're not necessarily the best draft and developed because they don't always draft, right? That that's the 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 one kind of key signifier there. They tend to do well when they draft Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, those guys were mid first round picks that have been very very good for them. So their scouting department Excellent. They do a great job identifying players, but their player development from the NBA through the G League is, you know, it's it's the best that there is in the league. And what they do, you know, it's not just, you know, we all know Struess and Vincent and Robinson and Caleb Martin, who was on a two-way, right? We all know those names, but Haywood Highsmith contributed at points this year. Omer Yurt Seven was a guy who they intended to be a big part of the rotation, but then he got hurt and couldn't really be, but he's done things in the past. Orlando Robinson and Jamal Kane, they're two two-way guys this past year. They both flashed at times and showed some stuff. So what they do better than anybody else is 
they use their G League teams in Sioux Falls, which is in Sioux Falls, it's it, it, it it's about basketball. There's not a lot else going on, you know, there, no, no, no offense to Sioux Falls, but you know, you send an NBA level guy down there and it's going to be focus on your craft, right? Focus on getting better as a player. But what they do is they send guys down there with a plan with the plan being, here's what we need you to focus on. Here's what we want to do. And their G league program is not, they don't get all caught up in, well, you know, I got to try to win games here at the G league level. It's all right. Hey, if they want, you know, uh, Haywood Highsmith to come down and Haywood Highsmith is going to be our primary pick and roll ball handler for at least 20 plays this game. Even if those are a mess and they don't lead to winning, that's what they're going to do because that's what they use the G League for. So that that's you know one of the really kind of exciting things about this group is they they just they they do so well with their development um with these guys, you know, through using the G League better than anybody else does. Yeah, it's fascinating. If you're an undrafted uh, player and you can get into their system yeah. just to, to hone your own craft to make a name for yourself, yeah. even in within the G League itself, then uh, just getting in, in the, your foot in the door with that franchise is a huge uh, uh, step forward for those kinds of players. Well, it's like they used to say in the NFL, right? If you're an undrafted guy and the Patriots are calling, you know, say yes, because you're probably going to get coached up, developed, and make the, the roster and have an impact. And that's what it is with the Heat. It's the same kind of deal. If you're an undrafted guy in the Heat call, that's why they never have an issue filling out their summer league roster, right? Guys are, hey, I'm happy to come. And and it's not always necessarily a guy who just went undrafted. Sometimes it's a guy who's been in the G League for a year or two, and they're like, all right, we see something here. Let's go. And then they're also pretty pretty smart and aggressive at the ends of, of years of, hey, let's turn the bottom of the roster a little bit here. That's how they got Duncan Robinson. Initially, they brought him in and signed him late in the year and said, all right, we're, we're going to put him on the active roster. It would only, I want to say, it was only a week or two left in the season, but then it was, now we've got him. And then they had him on that team-friendly deal for a little while. And that also getting those guys early and getting them on those team friendly deals, those, you know, minimum deals that run out two, three, sometimes four years. Those are huge because that allows them to spend money elsewhere on the roster. So it's just really good planning, development, scouting, all of it coming together. Anything else we need to know about the Miami heat going into the off season? Yeah, just going to be a really interesting off season for them with the free agents that they have, how expensive the roster is. And of course, if they're getting involved in star chasing, that's going to be fun to monitor too. Absolutely. Denver nuggets, the champions, they have a locked up roster. They have some young kids that are still on rookie scales. They've acquired picks already, as we talked about last uh, uh, last episode on Tuesday. Uh, so they are humming on all cylinders with this machine of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Jokic's extension kicks in. Uh, right now it's 46.9 uh, at 35% of the cap, so that will potentially go up if the cap does rise a little bit. Jamal Murray is locked up at 33.8, but he's extension eligible. So let's start there because he had a stellar season after having missed a season. He came back, you know, people were extremely high on him. Once they started seeing him at the beginning of the season, he, he played to the caliber that he did in the bubble. So 
with two years left, do the Denver Nuggets entertain just extending him and, and locking him and having Jokic locked up for the next five, six years? Or is this another situation where they just wait and see, was this last year just an anomaly? Um, uh, or they have to see one more year of back-to-back solid, solid play from Jamal Murray. Yeah, I don't know that it's they have to see you know, another year. I think they can feel confident in this is who Jamal Murray is because this is where he's trending ahead of the injury anyway. So now it's just he's fully back to form. So I think you're you're confident in that. Well, I think this gets held off on is if I'm Jamal Murray, I'm saying uh, let's wait and see if maybe – Yo, I play pretty well here over the next uh, couple years. Maybe I trip into Supermax eligible because I make an All-NBA team. And that's not out of the realm of possibility, right? So if he does that, then that opens up more money and other opportunities and those kind of things. Now, if you're the Nuggets, on your side, you're looking at it and saying, man, in 25-26, when Murray would be, as of now, off the books, we already have... 54 million for Jokic, 38.3 for Michael Porter Jr. And then Aaron Gordon is sitting on a $23.8 million uh, player option. We're already at $116 million. Let's go ahead and add in Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, who they drafted recently. We're up around $126 million for five guys. And that starts to become, all right, now if we're talking Murray at 45 to $50 million or more, that's all of a sudden, you know, we're going into territory we've never been in. Now, they paid the tax last year. They're going to pay the tax again this coming year. Probably will pay the tax again the year after that. So now what you're looking at is, all right, we'd be a repeater tax team. We'd be one of the most expensive teams in the league. We'd be up against all of the super tax restrictions. So those going to be the things where you're going to kind of probably say, all right, let's let it play out. Maybe you make All-NBA and you can make more. Maybe we you know, find a Michael Porter Jr. trade if we need to shed salary. Maybe things are going so great for us and the tax has gone, tax and cap have gone up so high, these things aren't as much of a concern. Those are all the reasons you wait versus anything to do with his production as a player. Yeah, that solid points there. Bruce Brown Jr. has a player option, $6.8 million. Uh, I know in the piece you laid out if you think he is going to opt out or opt in what was that decision yeah i think he's going to opt out now what becomes interesting is does he opt out and resign or does he opt out and go elsewhere i fully understand that in in the you know minutes hours after winning the title bruce brown said yo i want to stay here in denver a lot of guys say a lot of things right at the end of the season i mean lebron james said he might retire and i think no none of us believe that so, you know, this is on the obviously the opposite end of that. Um, but we'll, we'll see, right, emotions and everything else at that point. So I think what we're kind of looking at here, though, is the Nuggets are limited because of all the restrictions we laid out. They can offer him using his non-bird rights about $7.8 million next season. And that's, you know, a minor raise. But any other team, you know, he's going to have a chance if he opts out to sign for the full non-tax MLE somewhere, you know, the, the full $12.2 million, if not more. You know, the cap space teams may say, hey, we could do, you know, $15, 16000000 million for Bruce Brown because he's really good. He's proven he can start. He can play off the bench. He can, you know, play really any positions one through three uh, fairly reasonably on, on a team. He can, you know, play a bunch of different roles for you, whether it's cutter, shooter, uh, uh, pick and roll, roll man, all that kind of stuff. He can do a lot of different things. 
what I think could happen here. If he is, man, I found my place. I want to play with Jokic for the next, you know, however many years. And I'm really happy in Denver. This is where I want to be. I think what happens is you may see him opt out, resign and take that about a million dollar, uh, you know, difference and take, you know, the 7.8 million. Then a year later, when they have his early bird rights, they could then sign him to a longer contract that would start right around the MLE amount, slightly more, um, and then go from that. And what that would turn into uh, for Bruce Brown is very similar to what Bobby Portis did with the Milwaukee Bucks. Big part of them winning the title. They had him on a value contract because I believe they got him on the biannual exception. They gave him a slight bump for the next year with a wink, wink. We'll take care of you a year from now, which they ultimately did. And now he's you know, rolling forward with the Bucks for several years. I think that could be the path this plays out on. If he decides, all right, you know what? Denver's really where I want to be. I do not want to leave. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the Bobby Portis uh, comparison because that is immediately where I was going to go if you did not bring it up because this he seems like a player that – could fall into that where if he really loves this roster and wants to be there, he could be there long-term. It's just, he's going to have to play ball with them as far as slow playing the contract until you can get that longer contract to be in there. But he seems to fit really well with this, uh, with this team. So I kind of hope he does go back there because this roster is deep and I, I like what they have here and they seem to mix well They've, they have some staggered contracts, but I, I, I like the Bruce Brown fit for sure. Yeah, he he's a wonderful fit on this team. So, yeah, I mean, dude, I would do what I could to keep him if I'm Denver. I'm, you know, basically putting all that out there in Portis style uh, for him and then see if that's enough. But, you know, that that sounds good until somebody drops, hey, how about four years, $60 million? Then, then that starts to sound right. a lot different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because this roster on paper, so let's say Bruce Brown is there, is there a weakness on this team that they need to focus on in this offseason from a you know trade or a free agent acquisition? Obviously, that they're not going to have much wiggle room as far as free agent signings, but what are the weaknesses that they need to focus on? Yeah, probably front court depth is probably the biggest thing. You know, they're pretty well set in the back court. Um, you know, I I think. A backup, like a true backup point guard, you know, would be, you know, interesting just if Mari needs a break or if he misses any time. Um, you can go a lot of different directions with that because they run so much of the offense through Jokic. It doesn't need to be your traditional type of point guard. As long as, long as it's somebody who can handle the ball and defend the position, you're, you're pretty well set there. And then in the front court, why I mentioned that is, you know, DeAndre Jordan, he's, you know, whether he retires or not, he's at the end of the run. Uh, he'll be 35 here in about a month. <clears throat> Jeff Green is going to be 37 at the end of the summer. Those guys were kind of by the end of the year, the two primary front court backups, um, you know, on the team. So you you could run it back with with one or both of them for you know another year or two and probably be okay. But you know Zeke Naji, who I really really like and I think can really play, he's just never been able to hold down a rotation role, whether it's been uh, lack of production or injuries that have cost him a spot. He's got one more year left uh, with the Nuggets, so we'll see you know, what that looks like. And maybe they're ready to, you know, say, all right, hey, we're going to fully hand you this spot. But my guess is those are the, the spots where they kind of tweak things a little bit because they've got, you know, they've got plenty of wings, 
you've got uh, Porter Jr. and Caldwell Pope, your starters. If you bring Bruce Brown back, you're good. You got Christian Brown, who's you know obviously a huge part of things, big part of the playoff uh, rotation. And then they've got Peyton Watson, another you know wing size forward um, who they really like. They drafted him a year ago, didn't get a lot of run, but they feel pretty good about putting in there. So so I think they're pretty well set there. So you know see what they do with Ish Smith, Reggie Jackson. You know maybe one of them comes back as the backup point guard. We'll see. Um, but it's really you're just kind of filling in those depth pieces, likely with veteran minimum type signings. Yeah, this team, similar conversation with the Miami Heat, they seem to do a very good job of internal development of their own players uh, under this Mike Malone regime. Uh, the Gillespie and White two-way players, they're, they're going to be restricted two-way player free agents. Are those players that you could see being back as two-ways, or do you think that they might get standard contracts in, with the offseason? Yeah, we'll see, you know, what what, what comes with, with that. I, I'm not, you know, I, uh, I, I don't, it, you can go one way or the other. I, I think it's probably, you know, the mix is what you really want, right? Let's have a few kids here. Like, we, we know they made the trade or will make the trade to acquire some draft picks uh, coming up here. So that, obviously, they're reading the room, right? They know. We're super expensive already. We got to, you know, cycle through a couple young guys here at the bottom of this roster. So I think that's what, 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 you know, we'll probably start seeing there is, you know, let, let's start adding some guys, whether they're, you know, on two ways or they go right to the standard roster. Um, But let's add some, you know, young cost control guys with the new second round pick exception that, you know, adds, you know, the viability to having second round picks and being able to sign guys. So that's probably the direction they're going to go. Yeah. And then they'll trust in, Hey, we, you know, we developed Jokic and Murray and Porter. Uh, you know, we, we took Aaron Gordon's game to a new level. We, they, they probably feel pretty good about their ability to you know, coach these guys up and get them uh, to where they need to be. And then they're another team. They now, I think this will be year three of them having their own G League team, which is huge, right? They were one of the last to the party with a G League team, but now they've got one and, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, they, they've done well with it. So I think we're in a spot where, you know, all of those things are going to kind of, kind of take on increased importance across the entire league. So Denver's obviously going to be focused on that development piece as well. The last item I, I noticed here is they have a nice trade exception 9.125 from the Monty Morris trade with Washington. That That's a piece that they could potentially use. I, they may not use it and just let it expire, but they it's at least a piece that could be used if they wanted to acquire a player, a, a depth player um, to fill out that roster outside of the, whatever they do in the draft. Um, what are your thoughts with that? Do, do you think it's just going to be there? It ex- I think it expires on july 6th year yeah it's i don't think they'll use it because it's just it's you're taking on so much money if you do that you'd be pushing your tax bill way higher than where i think you want it to be ideally i think it'll be that that'll probably just go away probably all of their trade exceptions they've got a couple others as well that are smaller um, I think all those will probably just go away. And then what we'll see them do is, all right, we're going to use at least one of our draft picks on somebody who will be on roster. The other one will either be a two-way guy or maybe a draft and stash. We'll re-sign probably one or two of these veteran guys if they want to continue to play. And then we'll 
they kind of figure it out from there. It'll be, you know, let's fill it out the, the rest of the way with minimum type signings, new veterans or whatever it is. I don't think you're going to see you know, a whole heck of a lot of, you know, trade action with this team or anything like that. Cause I think, you know, champions tend to more often than not run it back more than anything. And I think that's probably where the nuggets are headed. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Anything else that we need to know about the Denver Nuggets that we haven't talked about going into this offseason? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's really, you know, not to, you know, at the detriment of the other guys on the roster, it's really kind of all about Bruce Brown at this point. Let's see what happens there. If, uh, you know, if he, he goes, then they've, they've got to, you know, figure out a way at least to semi-replace him. They'll probably just, you know, put more on Christian Brown and Peyton Watson will become a bigger part of the rotation next season. But, you know, if he's back, then then it's probably going to be, hey, let's, you know, more or less run it fully back, you know, with just some changes to the bottom, you know, three, four guys on the roster, and we'll, we'll go forward from there. All right, the player and team option piece is up. Latest financial preview, Memphis Grizzlies have been posted in addition to the Atlanta Hawks and Milwaukee Bucks will have more previews coming. Uh, Non-guaranteeds are coming. Uh, decisions, correct? Yep, yep. We'll have a very similar to the player option piece. Um, all the, the non-guaranteed, partial guaranteed contracts that have a date through July. We don't do all the ones all the way into January. Um, but the ones that have a date through July that could really impact this free agency, uh, I'll have a piece, same kind of deal, making a prediction on whether they end up getting guaranteed or the team waves them and moves on. Uh, nine more team previews to come. Uh, we, we know the order now fully. It's uh, Sacramento will be next. They'll be up soon. Those are going to come fast and furious. And then next week, it'll all be, uh, you know, we'll be you know, reacting to the draft and everything that happened uh, out of the draft. You know, we're, we're, we're hoping for, assuming there'll be a bunch of trades and all sorts of stuff. And if that's the way it goes down, then, you know, we'll, we'll have that going on for sure. And then we'll have a, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff to go there. I'll do, you know, if, if necessary, another run at, uh, you know, cap space projections uh, between the draft and the start of free agency a little over a week later. So you know, a lot, lot of stuff still to come and, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're getting into the good times now. Absolutely. And if you are not subscribed to the NBA next newsletter, please subscribe to that. You can go to the website, find under news, the NBA next newsletter subscription. Uh, also plug the manage tool. If you want to go and play with the, uh, a team trade, sign a free agent, feel free to do that. You can find those under the team pages, hit the manage roster. There's also a link in the off season preview article as well for each team. Keith, anything else before we head out? Nope, I got to get to work. I got a lot of work to do, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, if you're looking to follow Keith Smith, at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.